Hello, and welcome to the Student Ministry Conversations podcast with your hosts, Brent Aiken, David Pruitt, and Russell Martin. This podcast is all about equipping, encouraging, and inspiring youth pastors weekly with topics that are brought to the table by youth pastors from all over the world. And now, here's your host for this week, David Pruitt. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. If you, if this is your first time um, listening to us, we want to welcome you and invite you over to our website, www.studentministryconversations.org, where you can find our, all of our previous episodes, show notes, blog articles, and much more. Our goal is that you are inspired, encouraged, and that the things that you hear on this podcast would equip you to be a better student pastor for the church that you are serving in. All right, let's get to it. Today, we are sitting down... Um, with a friend of mine, Tyler Reed, who is the student pastor at First Baptist in Burnett, Texas. Am I saying the city right? Burn it. Burn it. I was like, I'm totally going to butcher this. Burn it, Texas. Um, Well, cool, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, man. Well, um, you know, obviously, you know this. Uh, I am a second generation youth pastor. My father uh, was a youth pastor for a lot of years. That's actually how David knows me. Uh, he mentioned earlier, I think the last time he saw me, I was probably about seven years old. So uh, anyway, uh, man, I, I watched my dad through his youth ministry growing up and um, decided pretty young that as I was in youth ministry, as I was a student in youth ministry, um, you know, I, I played guitar for our youth group and I did some of the things and volunteered in ways where I was like, wow, this is this is a really cool um, career path. This is a really interesting ministry. And so decided pretty young that I wanted to go into youth ministry. So I attended Hardin-Simmons University starting in uh, 2014. Uh, the Hardin Centers, you know, we, we got a good reputation yes, there. Sir. And I, I love that school. Um, graduated early from high school to go there and then graduated early in college. So uh, I started my first full-time youth ministry position at 21 years old. I started my first part-time youth ministry position at 17 years old, which is kind yes, of sir. in a lot of ways. Uh, so I, my first full-time position has actually been here in Burnett. Uh, I'm in my sixth year now. I'm going on uh, 26 years old. So, man, I'm, I'm loving it here. Um, and uh, I just feel like, you know, kind of the topic that we're discussing today is, is, is really been relevant to my being here for as many years as I have and, and uh, the level of contentment, contentness that I have with this church and, and familiarity. And, and I'm just excited to be able to discuss that today. Yeah, man. I love that you, uh, you talked about your first part-time was at 17. Um, and that really makes a lot of sense for, um, so for those of you guys who don't know, um, his dad was actually my youth pastor growing up. Um, his dad poured into me in ways that nobody else has. Um, I'm entering my 20th year of ministry and, uh, which is just crazy. Um, but the biggest reason for that is, his dad saw something in me at 13, um, that nobody else did, you know, and he began to pour into me. Um, and when he announced that he was actually leaving, he left our church to become senior pastor, um, outside of Lubbock. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, that was going to be in Silverson, Texas was his first pastor position. Yeah. 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 So I, I remember when he left, um, I got an opportunity to step up, um, in a lot of ways and, you know, and, and also speaking of that, I mean, you're your second generation youth pastor, um, but you also have other family. Um, your brother-in-law is a, is a pastor um, and, and his brother-in-law were just a little bit older than me. And uh, and his his older sister, Cheryl, I mean, they poured into me big time. Cheryl was the first person who who gave me an opportunity to sing and play drums and different things like that. So um, his family means a whole lot to me. I graduated with Lindsay. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Yeah. You know, I remember there, there, there's not a memory in my life where John wasn't there. So he started dating my sister when I was probably like four or five years old. So right. when my family memory starts, John was already there. So I got to see him go through ministry. And yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm kind of a, a product of my environment for sure. Oh, for sure, man. It was, it was so cool. I remember um, seeing on Facebook and I think it was either your mom or your dad had posted that you were starting in ministry. And I was just like, man, I love that. It's so cool to see, um, so many of you guys in ministry, you guys truly are, um, like a whole legacy ministry family. Um, yeah, so it's super it, cool. It has been. Uh, my grandpa was a pastor too. I mean, it goes right, past, exactly. it goes past dad. So it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, awesome, man. Um, so tell us a little bit about, so our, our topic, um, 
is really talking a lot about burnout. And like we were talking about earlier, um, you essentially have been in ministry in, in one way or another your entire life, whether that being um, a pastor's kid or um, your own personal ministry um, and being at your church for six years, which, man, there's that's a huge accomplishment uh, when you look at how many um, youth pastors burn out within a year, um, yeah. which is what we're talking about. So tell us a little bit about, about your passion in that. Sure. So, um, man, I, I think it goes back to uh, when I was 17, I got that first you know, youth pastor position. Um, it was a part-time position. It was at a satellite campus uh, called Broadview West. It was in Abilene. And man, I love that church. I love the pastor. I love being there. It's kind of how I discovered my my love for youth ministry and, and truly getting to experience being in that position. I was only there about a year and a half, um, and I got married super young, all right? So I, I'm in this relationship with my wife. We dated for entirely not long enough, which was four months, and uh, got engaged. And so, you know, we're trying to think, look to the future. And so I'm, I'm starting to realize my $150 a week is probably not adequate at that point to support uh, a new marriage. And so uh, there's a church right outside of Babylene, um, which is First Baptist Church of Holly, and they had a parsonage. So uh, I moved to that church when, and I was there until I graduated. Again, I graduated just over three years. So I moved to this church for another year and a half and got the opportunity to, to go to Burnett. And so I'm starting to kind of visualize, I'm like, man, I'm that youth pastor who has moved churches now twice in a year and a half, a year um, what have you. And I, I was kind of bothered by that. I was kind of bothered because I grew up moving a lot. Um, you know, I moved every three to five years. That was kind of the youth pastor um, stereotype of, of the day. And so when I got to burn it, I thought, man, I don't want to put my kids that I'm going to have at the time uh, in the situation I was where I was moving around a lot. And I said, so you know what, I'm going to really commit to to being here long term to being in this place. Now, in my head at the time, I was like, you know, five years, whatever. So I start getting into this ministry and I'm like, man, why does anybody ever leave youth ministry? I, I don't understand. You know, everything was going so well. And there was never a time where it faltered. But around year three of being here in Burnett, I started to experience my first version of burnout. My first version of, of just the mental exhaustion, the, the time away from my family at that point. Um, I had a couple of kids at home and, and man, I felt like I'd come home for an hour, you know, and see my kids for an hour and they'd be in bed. And then I'd see my wife for an hour and she'd be in bed. And so I was, I was living this life where my, my days felt all the same. I felt disconnected from my family, from my hobbies. I felt like, uh, you get in this moment where when you first get into a youth ministry, you know, you're growing this ministry, you're getting to know kids. There's this level of, of consistent growth and excitement and then you're there for a while and stuff starts to kind of settle out, which is kind of viewed as a bad thing. It's a great thing, but it starts to make you realize like, man, I'm doing the same thing. Everything is set up. My schedule is made. Um, and it kind of, kind of brings you down a little bit. And that burnout, the way it manifests in me, burnout can affect everyone differently, but the way it manifested in me was it made people, it made people look at me and, and think that I was lazy. It manifested in versions of laziness. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I felt, I felt distant from people around me. I felt distant from the students. I felt distant from my calling. And, and that made me unmotivated to do certain things. I would procrastinate. I wouldn't go the extra mile. I was doing what I knew to be bare minimum so that I could get home and do these things. And it was exhausting. I mean, the mental exhaustion that came from running myself ragged and doing these things started to become really intense. So about two, this was two and a half, three years ago when this was at its peak. And I kind of started the process of what I would find to be an effective treatment for burnout. And it was a total learn as I go thing. There wasn't someone who said, hey, here's what you need to do. And here's what worked for me. I just started to every day start to work on improving the little things. And, and I'm hoping being on here today, I get to share that with someone who is dealing with burnout, who is struggling. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So walk us through that, that process. What was it like for you? Um, when you, well, let's start with this, like what, what 
prompted you to realize not only are you burned out, but that you either have to do something about this or leave ministry? I mean, I think that's the crossroads that many of us find ourselves. Yeah. So um, I'm not a person. Okay. I I like to use the term that I am allergic to confrontation. All right. So I I don't do confrontation. I don't, I don't have big disagreements. I kind of stuff stuff down and I don't mention, I don't bring it up. And as you go throughout youth ministry, I mean, you're bound to run into someone with different opinions, someone with maybe strong opinion. And, and, you know, I was just stuffing it all down for, for three years as I left this church and one day, man, I realized I am frustrated on 10 different levels with 10 different people. And so I, I go to my head pastor, uh, what prompted it? You know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was the dumbest thing ever. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted, we have, a, we have a great facility here and we have this gym that I had an event planned on this day and I needed the gym. And, and so someone came in and said, hey, we need the gym for this thing. And, and ultimately it was viewed as a more important thing. And in hindsight, it probably was, but I remember breaking down and going to my pastor, like in tears, and being like, "Man, I'm 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 beat up. I'm tired. I'm frustrated." And uh, so we talked for a long time, and I guess that was the first day where I was like, "Oh, this is this is serious. Like, this is either going to be fixed, or I am going to be eventually moving on and trying to find something else." And so I guess that that was the first day where I realized it, and I think it was prompted by stuffing down all of those problems, you know, stuffing down, you know, if me and -and so-and-so had a disagreement, I just moved on, you know, I just, I didn't say anything, I let it go, and I would move on, I wouldn't ever address these conflicts, I wouldn't ever address these frustrations, and then one day, it just kind of all boiled over, and I was like, oh, wow, this is going to put me out of ministry if I don't fix this. Dude, that's huge, Um, and I think this is going to sound very light, you know, CR celebrate recovery or AA kind of thing. But like that first step really is you've got to acknowledge that, man, I'm burned out. And like, um, and I definitely understand that feeling. I'm going into my ninth year uh, here um, in Snyder. And uh, there's been multiple points where I just was like, man, I'm, I'm not ready to tap out on youth ministry. You know, it's, it's interesting because like, when I get to that point and I have that conversation with my wife, my wife always asks the question, like, are you done with youth ministry or are you done with this town and this church, you know? And, and, you know, it's always, it's always an important question because there's so many people who, you know, it's like, that's, that's the real question here is like, am I, am I tapping out in ministry? Or am I tapping out at my church? You know, am I, do I want to do anything else? Do I feel called to do something else? Does, you know, do I feel like God is trying to move me for ministry? And that's such a tough question for so many people. And I think what ultimately happens so many times, and it's really sad uh, when you go to look around is, you know, how many people were in ministry when I first started or even 10 years ago that don't even go to church anymore, Yeah. you know? And, and, and I think part of that is, is the failure to recognize this is my breaking point. And I can either do something about it so that I can continue to do the thing that God called me to do, or I can get frustrated and leave and ultimately miss out on the opportunities that God has, has given me and the gifts and talents that God has given me to use. And I, and I think burnout extends to various different aspects of your life. There's, like you said, there's, there's church burnout, right? There's ministry mm-hmm. burnout and there's personal burnout. And I, I think at that point I was dealing with all three. Man, I was, I would get blindsided by everything. And, uh, but anyway, but it was good for me. And and it was good that I, you know, I I was put in a position where I had to talk to our head pastor about it. And, and I'm a, I'm a private person. Um, I don't wear my heart on my sleeve as far as, um, saying major issues out loud. I like to kind of just keep those to myself. So I'm going to him explaining all this. And he was like, man, I had I had no idea that you were feeling this way, going through these things. And so that was like, a revelation for me too that I could share these feelings yeah. that people would understand, people would you know relate mm-hmm. to. That's huge, man. I think, I think it, it's really, really big that you took the time to to talk to your head pastor because because so, so many times we don't. You know, is exactly what you said. Like, you know, um, I often refer, refer to ministry, especially youth ministry, as an island in. So many times we feel very, very alone. We don't know who we can talk to. Um, yeah. Sometimes the only people we talk to are, 
you know, and it can be dangerous as sometimes we, we talk to our, our youth volunteers who we spend the most time with. And sometimes that could, you know, turn around and be a dagger in your back when they're like, oh, you don't want to be here anymore. So now I'm going to go tell everyone. <laughs> well, I'm very fortunate with the volunteers I have, man. They're all so supportive yeah. and awesome. And, and uh, it wasn't always that way, though. Like the place yeah. I'm at with my volunteers, I was not at in this point where I was desperate and broke down. And I'll get to that. Right. Well, cool. So, um, so where did you go from there? So you have this conversation with your pastor, what happens next? Yeah. So, and, and this was the start of a very slow process. The first thing that I needed, as I kind of just alluded to at this point, I was doing ministry on my, and, and I mean that completely literally, we had a very healthy youth group as far as uh, student base and, and kids come. And I think we had 30 to 35 kids and it was literally, me. I mean, there were, so it was, for a large chunk of my life, it was me and my wife, right? We kind of tag teamed this and, and my wife, Annie, she was never like, like full time in it all, but she would be there. She'd help at these events. She'd do the girls groups. And then you have kids and it's like my one volunteer has other responsibilities now, you know? And so, and I never really, I never really realized how in over my head I was at that point. And so, you know, we have this big conversation and, and my pastor goes, man, you need, you need some help in there. You need to get someone in there that is able to, to help you. And so, man, I go out and, and I start recruiting and, and this, this didn't make it better. I start recruiting and everyone's like, dude, I don't want to work with teenagers. That's, that's, that's not something I want to do. And mm-hmm. I really felt like that was God taking the control out of my hands a little bit because people started coming to me. Hey, I have a student coming up next year. I'd love to help. Hey, um, I have a friend that mm-hmm. likes to help. I just had to take my hands off the wheel and say, God, these are the volunteers that you've chosen and equip me. And it turned out to be the best decision I could have done. So the first thing I did was was get some help and then secondarily and my volunteers my volunteers will tell you this it, it took me a while to take my hands off the reins a little bit I'm still working on that uh, yeah. I, I I try to you know for a while they would they would come to me and be honest and they'd say hey we're not in charge of anything we're just here right and that that was not a healthy environment for them which which goes to my point not only do you need volunteers you need volunteers that challenge you you know, I've, I've yeah. had a group before where they were just, they're, they're cool with whatever. And that's, that's good to have. It's good to have that. But you need people who are willing to say, hey, we need something to do. We need you to take a step back to be able to, you know, focus on this. We need this aspect. And, and at first it was challenging because I'm not always the best at taking criticism. But as we went on, I was like, whoa, they're right. I need to give them their personal responsibility. So, man, we were starting small groups. We were um, organizing youth because when it was just me the organization could be loose right and who cares if there wasn't an outline schedule I knew what we were doing so it took right. this like adjustment period but that went really well we started to to get our youth ministry in order me and me and my volunteers did um, and then I guess I started to having to kind of address the other two parts right because there's ministry burnout which having those volunteers and and finding that passion again really helped. But then there was the home burnout and there was still this individual church burnout because I had kind of burnt some bridges over my time, not in a big flame out disaster argument, but something would happen and I would ignore it. And you, when you do stuff like that, those relationships start to fester. And so I started looking around like, man, I need to, I need to fix some stuff. And uh, you know, that was hard for me because again, I hate confrontation. My staff right. that is here now will tell you that. And the staff that was here at that time would tell you that. And so I started going around and just trying to have conversations. Hey, you know, this thing four years ago kind of made me feel a certain way. And I just want to apologize for my part. And I, and I found that when I started doing that, people were so, so cool with being like, wow, I didn't know you felt that way. I apologize. And man, I'm, I'm sorry for my part. And, you know, I, I forgive you and stuff like that. So I started kind of repairing relationships that had been damaged over those years. And, you know, that was helping a little bit on, on the church burnout side. And then um, I guess on the home burnout side, this is the most interesting part. If there was a topic that I, I feel most personally equipped to talk about, it is going to be kind of the personal side of burnout. Because again, in youth ministry, 
you're there on Sunday morning, you're there on Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, you're there late Wednesday, Thursday, I had praise team practice till late in the evenings, Fridays, I do work Fridays a lot. What we did initially when I got here was uh, we, we'd alternate someone worked a half day Friday, and we would just go through the calendar and hey, it's your Friday. Um, and I'll explain what I did with that in a minute. But anyway, I was working every day, but Saturday, and there would oftentimes be youth events on Saturday. So I'd get home, my wife would be frustrated with me, like, hey, take these kids. I've had them all day. Like, it's it's you now. And so I wouldn't feel rested when I got home. And anyway, so there was all this personal side effect to being there as much as I was. And so I went to, again, I'm so blessed to have the staff that I have, the church that I have, and the pastor that I have, because they could have easily said, like, no, this is your job. You're here eight to five. Anything outside of that is, is you know, is your thing. Um, but our church has always had this idea of calm time, right? If you have this crazy week, if you have a youth camp type week, you can take time off that following week. Um, and, you know, a couple of days, it's not from PTO. It's based on overworking in the previous week. So I started tracking my hours on my calendar. In fact, I'm going to get this just to show you. Uh, kind of, I still do this to this day. Uh, I track my hours, right? And figure out, hey, what am I practically doing? How much each week am I working? And at that time, started looking at the numbers and they were 48, 52, 56. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is a lot of time off. So I go to my pastor and I say, Hey, listen, I, I, I appreciate flexibility. I, I'm the kind of person that, um, man, if I had a crazy Wednesday night, I'd love to come in 30 minutes, you know, an hour late on Thursday, just to kind of rest a little bit. Or if my daughter has this thing at her school, I want to be able to, to attend that. I really like being, an active parent and spending time with my kids and spending time with my family. So I said, listen, can I use this comp time? Can, can I kind of go through my week, figure out where I'm at, and then use this time each week to, to go do things I need to do, to take my wife out. I, me and my wife, when we do private dates, they're almost always lunch dates where I take an extra 30 minutes. We go to a town near us. We go eat somewhere cool, just her and I at lunch. Uh, and then we return back to work and I get to go, I'll be going you know, later today to my daughter's Valentine's Day party. And I started attending stuff like that because when I looked at my calendar, I, I had the hours to cover what is a full-time position and, and then a lot. And then beyond that, I started looking at my PTO and our church has a very good PTO package. When we first got here, it was uh, 120 hours of PTO and you could roll over 40. And now that at my fifth year, it bumped up to 160 hours where you could roll over 40. So I had plenty of PTO, um, but I wasn't using it effectively. Um, my wife and I like to do these kind of road trip based vacations and we go Monday through Saturday and then 40 hours was gone. So I started sitting down on my calendar and I was like, okay, we technically get Friday off, right? As long as I'm not the one that is tasked with working it, that does not count as PTO. So I started doing these Thursday through Saturday vacations. Okay, that's a that's a three full day trip where I have to take eight hours of PTO for a three day trip. And so I sat down and started doing the math and a, a five PTO day, 40 hour PTO week is, is Monday through Friday. So you can do a vacation that is Monday through Saturday with 40 hours, or I could take seven three-day vacations and use that same amount of PTO. And so I started looking at that and saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna space this out where I get a break, just, just a one day away from church responsibilities, but I get this break to be with my family, to take time to, to rest and relax and kind of make that PTO work for me. And, and that was how I started. I started kind of calendaring out these vacations, you know, almost, Every, every six weeks or so, I was able to get away and do a trip and spend time with my family as opposed to taking a week out of our summer. And so anyway, I started finding these times to, to spend time with my family and, and allowing our calendar to, to work for us because we have a crazy job. We have a crazy life. We're going to take time out of our days and our afternoons and our evenings, but that doesn't mean you can't spend time with your family. And that starts with really clearly communicating, talking with your pastor, talking with your elders, your deacons, whoever you need to discuss that with, and just say, listen, if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to do my calendar a little bit differently. And when you look at my calendar, it's, it's four, seven and a half, seven, 11 hour day, seven and a half, four hour day. It, it's mm -hmm. all. And, you know, their request was, Hey, communicate this clearly. 
document how many hours you have. And so I do that. And the flexibility that it gives me allows me a lot of peace, a lot of rest, time with my family, able to do things that with my wife, just her and I, and it all kind of accumulates where your time in office is so much more productive. It is so much more um, encouraging and, and you're happier when you're here. And it just, it all worked together to kind of relieve some of that work. And that's huge. Like, and I love that you kind of pieced it out and, and looked for ways to address and tackle all the problems, not just one. Cause I think, you know, many of us, get in this kind of rut where ministry really is our life yeah you know um in the last podcast we were talking about it's like you know there's no clocking in and out there's no like okay all right i'm gonna take my job coat off and i'm done for the day like they're still going to be texts they're still going to be phone calls until midnight one in the morning two in the morning and like Man, yeah. I'll go up to a text where I'm like, well, that's pretty serious. I need to answer this. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Last night, you know? I was talking to a student for hours. I mean, it was probably 11 or 12. And Annie always asked me, who are you texting? Why are you texting a book? And I'm like, man, theological questions at 11 o'clock, those are the best. Like, this is that's what yeah. I love. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. Or even that student that, like, um, is going through something really, really crazy. And you know that when they text or they call you have to be there because if yeah. you don't they may not be there the next morning yeah. um and you know i've got several um that you know those are the ones that keep you up at night you're like okay you know it's like you're replaying every little conversation like hmm was that as positive as i thought as it was did i really get through you know stuff like that i mean and i, and I think but, part of burnout occurs when you're not necessarily seeing the big results. I remember one time, yeah, because we have an incredible children's ministry here. Everyone jokes that they already come to youth saved and taken care of. So, you know, we just got to <laughs> get sure. But I had a comment one time, you, you think you hear these comments and they like burn themselves in your brain. But I remember someone mm -hmm. gradually saying, like, man, we don't see very many youth baptisms, not near as many as the children's ministry or whatever. And so, man, that got me down. Like, man, am I seeing what results am I seeing? What, mm -hmm. you know, how do I know that this is changing people's lives? And so you really got to celebrate the victories that you get in student ministry. You have to take time and say, Hey man, this kid who hasn't said a word in small group all year, uh, really poured out his heart this Wednesday. And, and man, th this other kid who's, who's, you know, is going through a breakup really is leaning into the church and you got to look at those victories and be like, man, a difference is being made. And I think one kid specifically that kind of pulled me out of that funk, um, he was, so he started coming with a friend two years ago, roughly. And so his friend was moving and he came for the first time the Wednesday of that, that one friend's last Wednesday. And I thought, man, I will never see this student again. He came with his friend who's now gone. He will never come back. And he came back the next week and no, knew nobody. And his friend let me in, man, he may not be a believer. I don't think... He, you know, he really knows anything about Jesus. And so I was like, ah, all right, I'm, I'm going after this guy. I, I, yeah. am, I am pursuing him in all the ways, as far as making sure he knows who Jesus is before he inevitably decides he knows no one here. And week after week after week, he kept coming and coming to the point where it was a little frustrating because man, I'm preaching the gospel to this kid and, and going way out of my way to talk to him. And, and I appreciate him so much because he was like, I don't feel like I'm ready, you know? And I was like, that's cool. So anyway, every major youth event, I'm spending the weekend praying for this kid before it starts and praying over him and praying over him. Mm -hmm. And then finally, over a year later of constant attendance, every time the church door was open, he was here. He prayed and accepted Christ into his heart. And I was like, that's Man. it. That's, that's why we're here. This is the one. And, yeah. and it was, it's been life-changing. And, and seeing him, he's still so active in the youth group. And he's at, he was the one I was up with, you know, talking about theological questions at 11 o'clock last night. And it's just so cool to see that. It's so encouraging when you see someone's mm -hmm. life radically changed and radically different from when they came in. Man, celebrate, that's, that's, those that's, celebrate those pictures. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and that's one of those things where it's like, it's a reminder of why we do what we do and why we continue to pour, you know, and 
there are, I mean, there's always that student that you're just like, man, am I making any kind of difference? Am I making an impact? And, and, you know, then when they do accept Christ or, um, you know, one of the big things for us is we don't have a huge ministry, but one thing that like, one of the, the metrics that, um, has meant so much to me is like over the last year and a half, we've had nine different students, uh, except some kind of cold ministry, whether yeah. it be pastoral or youth ministry or worship, or, you know, even some of those that are like, man, I know I'm called to ministry. I have no idea where let's yeah. discern it, you know? And yeah. for me, I'm like, you know, I could have a hundred students who know nothing, or, or I wouldn't say know nothing like that. They, they know Jesus, but they, they're not really plugged in. They're not really serving. But if I have a handful of students that are like, not only do I want to go all in, I want to make this my life. And yeah, I know that God is calling me to something bigger. And I'm like, dang, yeah, dude, <laughs> like to me, I would, I'd love to have a hundred students that are all called to ministry. Um, but, you know, I think the ultimate, ultimate goal there is to, to bloom where we're planted. And, you know, when, when I see so many students who are doing that thing, you know, like they're, they're really making this, you know, like they're not playing church. That's the big thing for me is like, they're not playing church. It's, it's a big part of their life and, and ministry they, they realize like, I have a part in ministry and whether that's a full-time thing or not, like I have a part in this and yeah. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And there's just like no better validation in what we do than to see so many people step up and accept their call in their life. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's just such a, such a rewarding thing, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I love it. So we've talked about uh, personal burnout. We've talked about ministry burnout. We've talked about church burnout. Um, and, and what I love is, is you did say it was a slow process. Like it wasn't like the situation where somebody handed you a book that said, hey, here are the five keys to getting yourself out of burnout. Sometimes it's just that experience of like, okay, here's an area. Let's tackle it today. And tomorrow, here's another area. And we're going to tackle that. Um, it took me about any a year or a year and a half to get to where I am now. My hope is that, right, having it a little more in one area, it can be faster for other people. Because when, you, when you're when you in that the, the depths of your burnout, if someone would have told me, yeah, it'll feel better in a year and a half, I would have been like, mm, that ain't it. I don't really want to, I don't want to do that. But seeing that like daily improvement was so encouraging and man, hey, this thing has gotten so much better. And man, this aspect of ministry has so has improved so much that was what I was like all right light at the tunnel we're getting better we're moving in a positive yeah. direction and, and to be clear you don't just fix burnout and it's gone forever you you don't just like hey my steps are applied and 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 we are good right it's something that continues to um, try to come on in certain seasons continues to try and and kind of rear its head a little bit I just had uh, we just had our, our son literally six weeks ago and the six weeks have caused me to have a little burnout because I'm not sleeping at home. I'm tired, all of these things. And so it's stuff that you have to consistently work on. You have to continue to drive in the direction of that. And, you know, I think the something I haven't mentioned earlier, one of the biggest parts that helps me is, like you mentioned, trying to remember why you're here, right? Spending individual time with students and, and hearing those victories and seeing the things they struggle with and be like, hey, you know what? being here, making a difference in this kid's life is, is worth what I'm going through. And I think when you, yes. when you put that in the balance, when you look at, man, this is heavy, this is hard, this is challenging, but look what it's doing in kids' lives. I think that helps put it in perspective of, of what is worth it, you know, and, and why you're here. Mm. Well, and I think sometimes we, we know going into ministry, like every Wednesday night, like no matter what we're talking about, whether it's, it's like a straight up uh, Bible study, like right now we're going through the book of Philippians or it's like a topical series. Um, we always have to be ready to answer the who, what, when, where, why, and how in every situation. And I think sometimes we do so much of that for others that we forget about answering those questions for ourselves and remembering the why. You know, and, and number one, 
we know that the why is because God called us to this. We wouldn't be, you know, um, how many people honestly want to spend countless hours. I mean, you alluded to it, like my Sundays are 13 hour days easily. My Wednesdays are easily 13 hour days. There are weeks 12 or above. I mean, that's, that's yeah, exactly. You know, there, there have been some weeks where, I mean, it was 80 plus hours uh, and I wasn't even at camp, you know what I mean? So it's like, when you, when you think about that, like how many of us are spending, you know, 80 hour weeks getting paid like a teacher, uh, you know, um, we don't do it for the pay, um, or at least most of us don't. And so I think it's important to go back to number one, we're called to this, but also what's your why? You know, for me, and, and our students know this, I say it to, I tell them this all the time, and I actually got this from your dad, um, is that my ultimate goal doesn't stop with these students. My goal is that we have built these students up in ministry so much that when they graduate, they go off to college and they ultimately build a family of their own. And one day when they have a kid who's 13, 14, 15 years old, they're given the same opportunities that they're getting right now. Yeah. That basically the things that, that we are instilling in these students are so important that it impacts their kids one day. That's the ultimate goal. I try to bug my graduated seniors all the time, man. They are the first people I call for events when I need extra help. I'm like, hey, yeah. here, you know, where are you going to church? You know, what are you doing in, in school? And I, I really try to stay on uh, my seniors. My graduate, I call them my seniors. I probably always will. My graduating <laughs> kids, right? Yeah, yeah. I, well, and it's hard too, because like, like right after this, I'm getting coffee with a student that graduated five years ago. Um, she messaged me yesterday and said hey I'm going to be in town would you like to get some coffee and it's like I still look at her like she's one of my students you know and she's not I mean she's she's like a full full full-blown adult she's living her life she's doing her thing but um you know I have other students that way like um one of my my main guys who actually preached Wednesday night he was he was a junior when I got here and now he's 25 years old and he got to preach um, Wednesday night and he brought down the house and he's actually preaching on Sunday morning too, which I mean, gosh, talk about how amazing, you know, and when I think about how far he's come, you know, and so it's just, those are reminders of why we do what we do. Like even, even in like, say you're in a situation now where like, you know, maybe your numbers are down or you feel like, man, am I really getting through to these students? And then all of a sudden it's like, text here phone call here and these you know all these former students i've had i've had five former students reach out this week yeah for different reasons like uh three of them were job applications you know like hey would you be a reference and i'm like heck yeah man like how are you doing and stuff like that too and then you get an opportunity to check in and it's just like man clearly the goal is that we're reaching these students in a way that it would change their life and you know when they're still reaching out to you five years after they graduate clearly encouraging thing i mean yeah it is man because i mean i fully expect them to graduate and never want to have a conversation with you know so many especially in a small town they want to move to a bigger town and they want to start their life and they want to do things and it's like you know and that's one of the hard things too it's like you spend so much intentional time with somebody and they graduate and they're just gone and you're just like oh man like like, I legitly get sad (laughs) it's funny you say that I think part of what my breaking point was that year I came into first Baptist Burnett with this really core group of kids who were like in you know grade at the time but when that group graduated my my OGs graduated I was like Oh man, <laughs> like, that's right. really sad. Like that, that you're excited for them at the same time. Like, yeah. yeah, I, uh, you know, one of my goals when I came here, um, I talked about this a little bit in, in our last podcast was like, we had seen so much turnover in this town. Um, for some of the students, when I first got here, um, I was youth pastor number four they had experienced, and that's just awful. Like, Dude, you know, crazy. I had one youth pastor until I took over yeah, I think and it I was your dad you know what I mean like I he you know your dad was like fully devoted even even like and we even knew just from 
conversations with him that like he struggled with his senior pastor at the time you know and they were very different people who had very different passions and even then I mean your dad was there for ever or at least what felt like forever you know and I mean I guess I don't know how long it was I don't remember um it was a long time ago but right I remember <laughs> South Georgia I remember the the youth room it was called the house right yeah yeah, yeah right. I remember a lot of details but all that's like where my memory started so I couldn't tell you how long it was right I mean yeah you were definitely uh quite young but man I just I remember so much about that and man, he, he really did. He, he poured into me in ways like I I can still tell you the name of the book that he first gave me. Um, when we, when I kind of started interning and stuff like that, like he, he did some incredible things and instilled some stuff in me that, um, I still use today. You know, um, the fact that he, one of the things that he taught me was that there are always, God calls every single human being to something, whether it's full-time ministry or ministry within their job, everyone has an opportunity to serve um, both in the church and in their home. And so like, um, and in their job. So like, make sure to be intentional to, to look for those things. And when somebody says something, encourage, encourage, encourage. I remember when I first, um, sat down in his office and said, Hey, I really feel like, and it was so funny too. Cause like I, I, and I tell our students this all the time. Like I was so sure that God was wrong about me. I was, I was the kid in the corner who didn't talk to anybody. And it wasn't because I didn't want to, it's because I had, I had experienced, um, such brokenness in my own home, um, that, I believed that I was like toxic as a human being. I was so sure that like, I could never make a difference in somebody's life. Like God can't use me because I'm not usable. You know, I thought I was garbage and I, I literally went into his office and I remember it was a Monday after school and my plan, I even told God this, I was like, all right, God, you think that I can do this thing. And I know that I can't. And so I'm going to go to a professional. I'm going to go to a person who's doing this and he is going to tell you that you're wrong. And so I walk in and I tell him what I, what I felt like God was, was calling me to. And he immediately pulls out a binder with my name and he had been like collecting all these materials and stuff for me and a book and, and different things like that. And he was like, man, I've known you were called since the day I met you. And like, he was preparing the way before I even knew it. You know, like he saw something in me, God had, had, you know, given him that vision so many years before. And like, he was prepared, you know what I mean? He was prepared for me. And like, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not how this is supposed to go. You're supposed to tell God that he's wrong so that I can. He didn't follow the script. And it wasn't that way at all, you know? And so I think, you know, it was such a, such a cool moment and such a pivotal moment for me in my own ministry. The fact that he, and I know that there was burnout for him. I know that there was, um, and I know how much he was struggling at the time. And yet he was so in tune with what God was calling him to do that he was just willing to say yes. And you know, that's the worst part for me is knowing that youth pastors burn out but God still has this plan and purpose for them in this church, in this ministry. And just knowing that people are missing out because they can't see past this season that I'm in right now, you know, yeah, that, that, that's, that hurts me to think about. For sure, man. Like, and like you said, uh, man, so sixth, sixth year here, I, I look around and, and, I am on like generation three of some of the youth pastors at these churches. And, and it's hard for me because, you know, it affects kids. You don't think it does. When I first moved here, when I first moved here, um, it was like six months in a year in, it was, it was a silly thing, but the kids threw me a surprise party. They bought me a Nerf gun. They called the Shisher. And, uh, anyway, it is, they just threw this thing and I was like, Hey, it's not my birthday. You know, what, what the heck's going on? And they're like, man, we haven't had a youth pastor that has stuck around and, and, and 
cared about us in a long time. And I was like, Ooh, like that's sad. Like <laughs> that's, but, yeah. and that's not to say for the record that no one stuck around. Nobody cared about them. However, that was their perception. They said, right. dude came, dude left, dude came, dude left, dude came, dude left. And, and seeing that and the effect it made on them just instilled in me further, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for the long run. I'm here to, and I don't know when it stops because I, I get attached to these young kids and I think, all right, I'll move on when they graduate. Then I get attached to the next group of young kids and I'll, I'll move on when they graduate. So I think I'm just yeah. in this constant loop. Uh, uh, yeah. So. Oh, definitely. Like, and it was funny because I, I let our students know uh, early on because one of the first conversations I had with the student here was like, he was like, man, no dis disrespect to you, but like you're number four and I just can't invest in another youth pastor who isn't going to invest in me. Oh, yeah. And that broke me, man. And I told my wife before we even made the move, um, my goal was always to take a, a group from sixth grade all the way on. You know, it was like, after that, I, you know, whatever God calls me to do from there, but like, I want, I want that full seven years. Yeah. I want it. And so when I came to Snyder, I told him, I was like, guys, I will guarantee you this, as long as God will allow me and this church will allow me, I'm taking a sixth grade group all the way through. And when I got there um, at year seven um, and they graduated, I was in tears, man. I was like, and it was so funny because I had so many students who were like, you made your goal like what does that mean for was you now it? and I was like you know what that means it means I'm going to do it again and again and again and again as long as God will allow me to um and it's been super cool you know like full generations of students um getting to to see that it was such a special moment you know I'm I'm easily the longest tenured youth pastor in this church's history and what I remember is a very similar situation we didn't have like a full-on party but I had several students that were like man congratulations you did it like you're not only the longest tenured youth pastor in in our church's history you're the longest tenured youth pastor in town yeah. and, I, and I remember yeah, having the that I'm not not quite the church tenured yet but i in town i'm the old i'm the old man dude i've been here oh for sure comparison, so well it's so funny because like they're like man congratulations you did it and i was like i always have had this like sinking feeling like that's not something to celebrate yeah in yeah. my opinion like to me i'm like great i outlasted a bunch of others now it's my job to talk to again some of these third generations that I've seen I mean I've seen three youth pastors in every church in town and like I almost feel this like when I say burden I don't mean burden as in like it's just like I, to me burden just means it's something that God is is um, calling me to do it's something I'm passionate about is I, I feel this burden of like I have to now go to other youth pastors and, and help them um, help them see that these churches aren't just stepping stones to get where you really want to be. You know, yeah. it's not about being in a mega church. It's not about, you know, being this like rock star youth pastor. It's about blooming where you're planted. And uh, so having this opportunity, having a conversation like this and hearing your heart on finding ways to not burn out, that's huge. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they see unhealth within a church and they think it's an unhealthy church. Every church is going to have unhealth, right? Uh -huh. I don't think there's ever been in the history of the world, except for maybe the one that Jesus had with his disciples. There's never been a church yeah. where everything was perfect, where where there was no conflict, where there was no butting heads. And and uh, so anyway, people get in and they see that and they think, man unhealthy church no no churches have unhealth that does not make them unhealthy and and what do you do when you're unhealthy you go and you start to fix it you start to address problems you start to un address the underlying issues um but so many people are like i'm out this is this is too much for me you know and uh i i just want people to see that man even when you walk into a situation that's unhealthy it's so funny when you look at the, the guy before you, right? We all have that term set yeah. such a precedent in one way or the other. There was this, uh, so a, a local church here, the guy that was there was here for about three months. He overlapped me for about three months and he was awesome. I mean, the, like, like the, the, the youth pastor, 
pedestal. He's on top, right? He's, he's the dude. Yeah. And I thought, Lord help whoever comes next over there, you know, and there's been other churches where I'm like, Hey, your job's going to be pretty easy. You just got to not be that guy. <laughs> so yeah, exactly because you get compared to whoever was before you in one way. Or I mean, you are going to, and, and for years I heard, well, we used to do it this way and we used to do this thing. And, and, you know, this was always the, and, and it's interesting to navigate that. Right. And it's different for everybody because some people are like, hey, you're you're not doing as well. And other people get complacent because they're like, oh, man, the bar was low. So you're good. And it's really yeah. interesting. But there's always unhealth in churches. There, there just is. There's going to be issues. But again, kind of like my thing earlier, you really got to resolve conflict, not avoid it. I, for, for years, I was the and, and I still that's my tendency to this day. But you really got to go into conflict and talk about it and have those hard conversations as opposed to running away from it. That's huge, man. And I think if all of us can can come to that place, because I'm in the same way, like, you know, like we even joked about it in, in staff this last uh, Wednesday was like, everybody knows that David is the pacifist. But like, if I have to, if I have to, you know, throw down, I will, you know, and uh man, that's something I really have to fight. And I think part of it too, is like growing up the way I did, like my dad was a really aggressive person and my mom was an aggressive person in a, in a very passive way. And so like, I guess there was a part of me that just goes, I don't want to be like that. I don't yeah. want to be, cause my dad was the exact opposite of me. Like he he will confront a wall if it looks at him wrong. And I'm like, dude, yeah. it's a wall. I can't look at you wrong. And he's over there fighting with the wall. Like, yeah. I just, I don't want to be that guy. And, you know, sometimes you have to, and, and I love like what you said, like when you started confronting relationships, even from, you know, three years ago that you were like, man, I, I, I'm still kind of feeling a certain way. And, you know, having those conversations and, and, and more times than not, they have no idea yeah, and those are the worst ones. So when I did that, I also went back and, and thought of the people that I had wronged, right? And when you're in high school, you do stupid things. And I remember something I said to one of my coaches, just some joke. I was like, I'm going to call him, you know, whatever. So I called him and said, hey, uh, or I messaged him or something. I said, hey, I don't know if you remember when I was in high school, I said something really stupid. You know, I apologized. And he was like, you talk about it. <laughs> like I have yeah. a memory of this. And I'm like, well, I do. And it's been weighing on me. I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. And he's like, cool you know, all the same to me. <laughs> oh man. And I've had, I've had those conversations where it's like, it's like a relief. You're like, Oh my yes. gosh. Like there, it's oh, not even a thing to them. And, you know, and then I've also had kind of those moments too. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't remember? Like this has kept me up for, for years, yeah. for years worrying mm -hmm. about this thing. And you're like, you don't even remember it happening. Like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but man, that's, that's the important key there is, we have to confront our mistakes and we got to confront the people have, who have wronged us. And um, when we do, we can find a lot of healing, um, yeah. both personally and in ministry. And like, like you said, you know, you realized there are three different areas that you had to work on and over time you did. And that's the big thing too. And I think it's important to, to point that out. Like a year and a half may seem like a long time, but like, especially in our, our instant gratification culture where we're like, um, can I just like say, can I have like, can I just take the pulpit, like say all my sorries, everyone hugs me and says wow. it's okay. And, and now everyone loves me now. Like we want that like instant fix. And sometimes we just gotta, we have to wade in the murky waters until we get there. You know, I'm reminded- I call us the microwave generation. Like everything just happens yep. like, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm reminded of Peter, you know, um, when he goes to walk out on the water and it was like super tumultuous, right? You know, there's, you know, it starts off with number one, they see Jesus walking on the water and they think it's a ghost. They're freaking out. They're already terrified because there's this crazy storm. I mean, like how many of us have been on a boat in the midst of a storm like that's got to be terrifying then they yeah. see this guy walking on the water which is completely impossible so it must be a ghost oh no it's not a ghost it's jesus okay great and like and, and i love just just the amount of faith that it took for peter to say 
if you're over there, I want to be with you because I know I will be safe in your presence. And so like he does the same miracle that Jesus does and he walks out on the water and when he gets scared, you know, and he starts to drown. What I love is that he calls out and Jesus immediately grabs his hand and they walk through the storm. And I think that's the part that we miss, you know, so so many times we look at Peter and we're like, you know, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? If you would have just kept your eyes on me, like you would have been fine. But the truth of the matter is like, it's very, very difficult to keep our eye on Jesus in the middle of, of the storm when we're going through sometimes absolute hell we lose our focus on Jesus and we're the people who are supposed to be leading this and people are like, well, surely you've got a great relationship with Jesus because you're a pastor. No, sometimes like my Bible time is study time, you know, and And so I'm just as jacked up. Right. And so what I love is that Jesus didn't immediately calm the storm. What he did was he grabbed his hand and they walked together through the storm. And when they got to the boat, the storm ceased. And it was like, it was in that moment, like Peter had to walk through his fear. He had to walk through the storm and he had to do that. And it wasn't an instantaneous thing, even though Jesus is the only being that could have like literally made it all go away right away. Instead, he just said, hey, let's bear it together, you know? You know, you know, Jesus likes to make you kind of, you know, what marinate the purpose is, is to make everything better. But Jesus likes to sometimes let us marinate a little bit. And, you know, in this season where I was struggling, I was praying all the time, like, dude, just give me the green light. Am I staying? Am I leaving? What is the answer? And I felt like he drew that out for a long time. You know, I I identify as, as the woman who goes before the judge over and over, like, please, I need you to do this. And the judge finally says, you know what? All right, because you won't stop bothering me, I will give you this answer. And I, I pray like that, man. If I, if, yeah. I, if I pray and feel like, you know, I didn't receive a yes or no, I'm right back to it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that season, I prayed constantly. I was, I was like, every time something bad or good would happen, all right, God, is this the sign? Am I, is this where I'm going? And, you know, I keep waiting and keep praying and keep praying. I'm trying to think. I don't really remember the, the point where I was like, no, no, this is it. I am staying here. I, I remember like the general season, but I don't know if there was a one instance in which I just felt like this is God's will. I think more than anything, it was seeing that, you know what, we're in a positive direction. We, we, are, we are moving and making progress and I am feeling better and the, the youth ministry is doing better. And, and so I think it was just that sensing that, okay, God does want me here. This is still being blessed. This ministry is still being poured into. And, and, but man, I, I prayed daily is not enough. That is not an accurate description of how much I asked God. Is this, is this when, how, and where I'm supposed to be? So. Yeah. And it, it's funny how God will do that. Like for, for my experience, um, I remember being at my lowest points, even here, here in Snyder, my nine years. And like, there were definitely times where I was like, God, what do I do? Like, and, and what's funny is like, every time I hit one of those lowest spots, my phone starts blowing up with job offers. And what's funny is like, I'm, I'm like, okay, God, so I can stay here. I could take this job. I could take that job or I could take that job. And I'm like, so God, what do you want me to do? And every single time God said, you know what, I'm going to bless whatever door you decide to go with. If you want to stay here, I'll bless it. If you want to go to that place, I'll bless it. And I'm like, God, that's not what I'm asking. I'm just asking you door A, B or C, which door do I go through? And God's like, I trust you. I'm going to bless you no matter what you do. And I'm like, Oh God, God, give me an answer. Give me a real answer. And God's like, no, I won't. I'm going to bless you no matter what. And that's been my experience. And so like, okay, God, if you're going to bless me where I'm, you know, where I'm at, which I think there, there's a lot of validation in that. And, you know, there are times where I'm like, God, just give me an answer. And I'm realizing God did give me an answer. God said, you know what, if you want to wade through the storm, I'm here with you and I'm going to bless you. If you want to go somewhere else, I'll bless you there too. And it's like the thing that I, I finally came to a place of realizing is like, God trusts me. Yeah. Like that's not small. That's not a small thing. Like God actually trusts my passions. He trusts my desires. He, he trusts my discernment and you know, if that ever changes, then God help me, you know, but like, 
the fact that God said, Hey, you know, I've, I've always had this sense, like, well done, good and faithful servant, keep doing what you're doing and I'm going to bless you. And there's, there's something huge about that. You know, you know, if there's, so for me, that's how I've, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So if there was one kind of final uh, piece of advice or encouragement I could give people, it would be when, when you look at what you're able to do year one versus we'll call it year six. Oh my goodness. When you are in a church and you are established and you've developed these, these deep rooted relationships, the way, the ease in which things are done and the efficiency in which things are done is so different. You know, when you're in that first year, and you are in the middle of struggle and you're trying to look for host homes and, you know, you don't know anybody and stuff is hard or, or man, you really need somebody to fill in for this day. And you're looking for who the difference in year one and year six is indescribable. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sitting here looking at my big whiteboard for our citywide that's coming up and our host home situation. I have too many host homes to use. I, I remember wow. making these calls and they're like, yes, I did it in this year. Absolutely. Yes. I did it in this year. Absolutely. And so Man, I am blessed with an overabundance of, of, of people that are willing to help because of not anything I've done, but simply that, that I have been here. This is established. Mm -hmm. This is something that people have seen, people have experienced. And it's so encouraging to me because year one me would have not believed this board. Man, I yeah. struggled to find people that were willing to be there every Wednesday. Man, I, I struggled to find host homes. I struggled to... to to find people that like, for example, if, if someone comes into the office with a need, I know who to talk to about it. hundred percent of the time. I've been here a long time. I know all, all of these people and things they do well. And, and so it, it's hard. It's easy to get caught up in this. This is really difficult. This is really challenging. This is, I, I don't know enough, but when you get to a point, when you, the longer you're here, the longer you've established these relationships, the more effectively you can do God's work. You know, the more effectively you are capable of translating that to the students and to the body of believers as well. Yeah, man, for sure. Like, I would, I would definitely echo that sentiment. Like, the longer you're faithful, um, the more um, trust that you build. Um, both, and that goes both ways. You're not just building trust for your church, but they're also building trust in you, and you know who who you can you can call on and who you can trust and that's huge. And if you don't feel like you have that, reach out. Um, that was a big thing um, that Tyler had mentioned earlier is like, ask for help. You know, step one for him was talking to his pastor. You know, if you don't feel like you have a good pastor you can talk to, because I've definitely been in that position um, several times in this church, actually. Um, reach out to someone, you know, there was there was a time where we were kind of we were going through pastor after pastor and most of our, like being in the, in the Methodist church, you know, you are often given pastors who are really, really close to retirement and they're checked out, they're burned out. And, and I got to a point where I was like, I can either continue to struggle alone or I can reach out to someone, you know, and if, if I don't have that here at this church, then I need to look around and ask myself who I can talk to. And I felt like I had almost exhausted um, my friends that I could talk to. And I just wanted someone that was almost like a therapist. And so no lie, I went next door to First Baptist. I had a really good relationship with the senior pastor there who's still there. Um, incredible, incredible human being and an amazing pastor. And I just began to pour my heart out. You know, I was like, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm at. And, and it was like, I, I had a pastor I could talk to that didn't necessarily have any skin in the game in our church. And I felt like this is someone I could talk to that isn't going to, isn't going to judge anything. There's not going to be any like blowback on, and it wasn't like I was doing anything wrong, but it was just one of those, like, I'm frustrated. And sometimes you have those conversations about being frustrated about X, Y, and Z. And people look at you like, well, that's your fault. And I'm like, but it's not, you know, uh, Anyway, and so just having that that person I could talk to until we legit got a pastor that I could begin to talk to, you know, and and so I probably spent five years talking to the next door pastor because that's who I had, you know, and so it's recognizing that you need to reach out to someone 
um, someone you can vent to, someone who will challenge you, someone who will ask you the hard questions and, and, and then begin to do the intentional work of, of correcting those different areas in your life until, you know, you may not have, like you said, you may not have that defining moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I've, I've arrived and I'm no longer burned out. But you take a, you know, I think journaling is so important and you go back and reread your journal and you're like, oh man, I was in a, I was that weird. thing, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, I, I always tell our students that the thing that you think you can't get past may be the very thing that you look at six months from now and realize you don't even remember that thing you were going through. And I think that's huge. You know, um, there's so many times in life and, and maybe, maybe you're listening and, and you're in that place of burnout and you're like, man, I can't get past this. But six months from now, will you even remember that this trauma that you think that you're going through right now, you know? Um, and, and sometimes that gives us that hope, that, that light, that door where we're like, man, six months from now, maybe I won't be so much in the thick of this maybe maybe it'll be a less hard you know and ultimately it comes down to just taking that one step every day um, even if you get knocked back eight steps today I'm just going to try to take one and and that's huge you know what I think is so cool about y'all's podcast and this, this I'll, I'll cut it off here is that um, you know I, I try to really intentionally meet with youth pastors regularly whether that is our mm -hmm. you know, Garnet Youth Pastors, Marble Falls Youth Pastors, because it's it's so reassuring to hear other people in your position be like, yeah, dude, this is hard. Or yeah, man, this is this is a struggle I go through. I found so much encouragement in that. And and in fact, there there was a youth pastor that I met with forever over at Hill Country. His name's Michael. Uh, we met, you know, once a month, roughly, once or twice a month, you know, went out and had lunch together. And then he moved on to a different position within his church. He calls me to this day and says, Hey, let's meet up this week. Let's talk. So yeah. you're and that, you know, that community made such a big difference for me, you know, it was so encouraging. And so seeing, you know, what y'all's podcast is and being able to, you know, get these members of different youth groups and say, Hey, I'm going through the same thing. That's so cool. And that's so encouraging. Yeah. It's so important, man. And, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I don't really feel like I have that community, please reach out to us. I could tell you uh, myself, Brent and Russell, um, that's what we do. You know, I, I intentionally um, meet with youth pastors. Brent has about five young youth pastors that he meets with every single month. They're, that's what we, we do. That's what we're here for. And, you know, if, if you don't feel like you have have that, or maybe there's a, there's a favorite episode and you're like, man, I heard this youth pastor and they said so many things that just made me feel like I wasn't alone. You can reach out to that youth pastor too. Um, and so just reach out. That's, that's the biggest thing. Number one, you have to reach out to someone. And, uh, if we can be that resource for you, please, please reach out to us. And, uh, that's what we're here for. So in closing, we ask that you would partner with us by, um, sharing our podcast with the greater student ministry audience. Um, Share our podcast with your youth pastor friends or on social media. Tag us in a specific episode that really stood out to you. Either way, be sure to tag us in the post on your favorite platform by using at TalkStudentMen. Finally, if you would like to be on the show in the future, please reach out to us on social media or send us an email um, to podcast at studentministryconversations.org. And we would love to set up a time for you to join us. Man, Tyler, thank you again for taking the time Man, an amazing conversation. Um, man, and, and again, just on a personal note, it's so exciting to see um, what you're doing. Uh, man, like I said, seeing you as a kid, you know, and now being in ministry and, and, and being at your church for six years, man, that's a huge accomplishment. My hat's off to you. Um, definitely praying for your ministry. And uh, to everyone one listening, have a great week and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.